So if you're listening to this by now, you know the Miles Brennan news, significant arm injury, a reported, it was 24-7 sports, I believe it was Shea Dixon who first reported that it is going to be a break in the arm for Miles Brennan, and that means that it's Max Johnson time in Baton Rouge. And so we found that out after we recorded. So there's a reference in today's pod about Miles Brennan and Max Johnson about who should have been third team all SEC. That's beside the point. I wanted to throw this at the top just because I think I wanted to provide some context just on Miles Brennan. And I, I think we forget sometimes with some of these kids who have been around for so long that this this is just such devastating news. And for Miles Brennan, who was committed while Les Miles was the coach, this is just, it's its brutal. It's absolutely brutal. And for somebody who did the old fashioned thing, waited till year four to start at LSU and gained weight and tried to quiet the doubts about his durability and that he could play quarterback in the SEC and worked his tail off. And then he just has two devastating injuries and you feel for the kid. Um, and, and obviously this is just one of the brutal realities of college football. But now you turn to Max Johnson and you have a backup in Garrett Nussmeyer who's been getting rave reviews in camp out of Baton Rouge. But this situation feels a little bit potentially reminiscent of 2017 Georgia. And 2017 Georgia, the way that starts out with Jacob Beeson as the sophomore quarterback. And hopefully, hopefully Max Johnson doesn't have a similar fate as Jacob Beeson with that season-ending, well, not season-ending injury, but the, the, the injury that he, sh- he suffered in the first game gives way to Jake Fromm. But I, I definitely thought back to that a little bit. And, you know, Max Johnson is somebody who I've said, I, I wonder how we'd be talking about him had Marco Wilson not thrown a shoe had Ole Miss been able to make a tackle at the end of that game on the touchdown to Keyshawn Boutte. But nonetheless, kid has worked his tail off as well. And you heard a couple of weeks ago on this very podcast, Jacob Hester say all the cliches about first one in, last one out, that's Max Johnson. He is somebody that they are really excited about and with good reason. But really feel bad for Miles Brennan right now. Somebody that I've said many a time, I'm not selling my Miles Brennan stock. I still might not sell my Miles Brennan stock. I might just hold on to that. It's pretty low right now with this injury and hopefully his his college career has another chapter to it. But as for now, it is Max Johnson time for LSU. This offense, I still think capable of doing some really big things, but uh, yeah, sh- surprising injury news to hear as we open up fall camp in the SEC and just goes to show you, you just kind of never know the way this is going to go. TJ Finley, Miles Brennan, both not going to be available for LSU this year, one via transfer, one via injury, and all of a sudden things change in a hurry. Welcome to life in the SEC. All right, here's the rest of the pod. Hey. What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, big pod today. We've got Dari Noka and Aaron Murray coming up. Little twofer for the people. Also, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, fall camp. Officially here in college football. We are going to have a ton of camp storylines that we're going to be following these next few weeks. It kind of feels like we've gotten away from talking ball lately because of All that's been going on, expansion, realignment, 12-team playoff, NIL, but I'm pumped to be able to talk a little bit of ball today. As I've said, I think at least two times previewing an upcoming episode, we are officially talking about all SEC gripes today. I'm going to 
shed some light on some of the decision-making process and all that, why I think certain guys maybe got a little bit more love than they deserved or why certain guys didn't get enough love. So we're gonna get to all that. And we're also gonna end the episode with friend vacations in figuring it out. Before we do all of that, today's podcast is brought to you by College Football Uncensored. If you are just starting to subscribe to all of your favorite college football pods, now is the perfect time to subscribe to Saturday Down South's newest podcast, College Football Uncensored. It is Marler, it's Tyler Huck, it's college football, it's commentary, it's guys who love just chopping it up about all things football in their own unique way. No bleep button. How many college football podcasts can you hear without a bleep button? Pretty rare to see that. I think at least, I haven't gone around keeping stats of that, but last I checked, that was still a pretty rare thing. They've got drunk college football history. They've got all the rankings that you know and love, especially this time of year. So go to wherever you get your podcast, type in college football uncensored and get back into mid-season form. Go do that right now. All SEC gripes. Well, you know me as a guy who, correct me if I'm wrong here, Okay. Do I come across as a guy who would get excited about this or who would be kind of a negative Nancy when it comes to filling out an all-SEC ballot? It depends because I feel like you're a very, like, I feel like you really get into the, to the, to the, to the nuts and bolts of a list. And, and I, it's one of those things that if your list is all the way in order and it makes sense, I think you would love it. However, if there was something weird, like you had to place like a, you know, like a random player, like Randall Cobb back in the day, you'd be like, well, okay, how does this work? Yeah, okay, that's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. The things that I love about being able to fill out an SEC ballot is the fact that we actually have this. In in the Big Ten, you don't. There is not an official media ballot in the Big Ten. It's so weird. The Columbus Dispatch puts it together. Participation trophies, typical Big Ten activity. They don't even put put anything out. It's so bizarre. It's like it's a it's a polite Midwest thing, and I'm not that is not an excuse for you to slip into your Midwest accent. Do not take that as it. But what I think is is unique in the SEC is that you get everybody at media days and everybody kind of all fills this out. So I, I try and treat it as a, as a fun exercise to be able to form some opinions. You set expectations. There, there are some positives that come of this, even though it is a preseason ballot and this stuff gets figured out. But I like that it forces me to make tough decisions on guys and actually say, this player is better. What I don't necessarily like, or I'm not crazy about, is I don't really like the timing of it doing it during media days week i've talked about this before i think it can be a bit rushed i'd prefer if we were all doing this maybe a week before media days and then everybody came prepared to media days that's probably wishful thinking a lot of people like to take that post fourth of july vacation i don't know but i think a lot of people fill this out and they're in a bit of a rush because you can only access the ballot during that monday through thursday window which as i've said if you're trying to fill this out in like 10 minutes you're gonna to default to a lot of things. And I think some people will just say, oh, Alabama linebackers, Alabama offensive line, Georgia offensive line. Well, real quick, and real quick, how, how many people, like, how do you think that the players who get invited to media days, do you think that influences the ballot because you're like thinking about them? A little bit. I think it kind of did with Bo Nix, I'll be honest with you, because uh, maybe, maybe it didn't because Bo Nix was on Thursday. And by that point, I think most people had filled out their all SEC ballots because it, the, it closes late in the day on Thursday. But it's possible. And, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes I've heard a guy speak before and I've thought to myself, 
maybe I'm not giving them their proper due and seeing them break down how they dissect an offense. If I was hearing Matt Corral for the first time, which I wasn't, I've heard him speak. He was at Media Days as a redshirt freshman, so that wasn't the first time I heard him speak a couple weeks ago. But if that was the first time I had heard him speak, I would say, oh, I'm listening to this guy talk about how much drop eight coverages really frustrated him and he had to work through that and some of the, the stuff that he spent time on this offseason, being able to dissect it with Kiffin and Levy's offense. I'd like hearing that and then I'd think, oh, I'm maybe not gonna stress out about, about the fact that like, I'm not gonna stress out about him throwing five or six interceptions in a game when I understand this is a kid who is acknowledging his mistakes. So it can make a difference, but not necessarily. I've definitely had some moments in the middle of filling this out where I thought I've got 20 minutes to do this and I'm, I'm on the offensive line right now and <laughs> this process is probably not as well thought out as I'd like it to be, but I think I should have prepared this year. At least I, I tried to. And you know, I think that people will also give the benefit of the doubt to those who are household names already and maybe not the people that they really spent a lot of time digging into the previous season. I base this on who I think will be the best player if they stepped on the field tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple, right? Not necessarily, did you have the most rushing guards? Did you have the highest completion percentage? All of those things. I don't project schedules with rankings and I don't predict how I think an individual will look four months down the road. I just say, if you're lining up tomorrow, are you gonna be better than this player or that player? This is based on what I've already seen from a player. That's why I'm not putting true freshmen on here. And I'm reluctant to put transfers on here unless we've already seen them do it at the Power 5 level. And even then, sometimes it gets a little bit touchy because as we know, not all Power 5 conferences are created equal. So let's get into my five biggest gripes in no particular order. And if you want, while you're listening to this, maybe pull up the preseason All-ICC teams that were voted on at Media Days and make sure it's the official media ones and not like, oh, you know, Athlon or you know, CBS Sports or whoever. Not to say that those should be disregarded, but these are the official ones that I personally am referencing. Man, I almost got gonna, duped. Thankfully to you, you did. I pulled up that CBS one. That would have ruined this podcast. We would have been just so confused. Right. If you just Google preseason all-SEC teams, you're probably going to see seven or eight that come up right away. And sometimes you're looking at a specific publication. Sometimes you're looking at what was actually voted on by the media. I'm not gonna freak out if a guy is getting first team love when I had him on second team. That's really not what this is for. These are my big discrepancies. So gripe number one, and again, this is no particular order, but Bo Nix is the third team All-ICC quarterback. Will, you ask the question, do people make decisions based on who is there at media days? Bo Nix was at media days. Bo Nix looked pretty good speaking in front of the media at media days and looked like a guy who kind of Got it, even though, as I've said, there are some Jared Garantano 2.0 vibes there with Bo Nix, but Bo Nix being a third-team All-SEC quarterback implies that he has been a decent SEC quarterback. He has not. And if you don't believe me, or if you just think that's some anti-Bo Nix take because that's what I'm that's some hill that I'm dying on, I, I would push back by saying in two seasons he's yet to finish in the top eight in SEC and quarterback rating. Oh, hasn't done that in yards per attempt. Hasn't done that in completion percentage either. He has yet to have seven yards per attempt or 60% accuracy for an entire season. The home road splits are really, really bad. The guy's got a quarterback rating of 104 on the road in his career. And a lot of people say, oh, you're not factoring the rushing with all those different things. 
guy has yet to hit 400 rushing yards in a season. And for me, this just comes back to how do you feel about Bo Nix stepping on the field as your starting quarterback? Nervous. <laughs> Nervous is how I would feel, and I think Auburn fans could agree with that at this point because you've seen the mechanical flaws. We've talked a lot about the inability to really understand pressure at this stage of his career, and to me, he's becoming more so a cautionary tale than a guy that I could project and say that in year three, he's going to figure it out. This does feel like his last stand. It does feel like these first six games of Mike Bobo's offense are going to tell a lot about where he is as a quarterback, how much taking snaps under center is going to impact him, but I find myself with Bo Nix now looking back on his career, and pardon me if you've heard this before, but I want to I, I want to replay Bo Nix his career with him sitting his true freshman year and letting a certain Malik Willis play quarterback. <laughs> Just a thought. I think Bonix could have had a different outcome. I think a lot of the variables around him would have just felt a little bit different. He cited this at SEC Media Days, and I don't want to say that he threw Gus Malzahn under the bus, but I think he said basically in more or less words that Gus Malzahn's system had gone stale. Now, when Gus Malzahn brings in Chad Morris to run your offense, you have no chance. You're done. There's no there's no opportunity for you as a quarterback to be able to succeed. So I'll give Bo Nix the benefit of the doubt there, but we're basing this on past performance. Through two seasons, I've yet to see Bo Nix be a decent SEC quarterback. Fair gripe. So fair gripe. With all of these, you'll notice a pattern here. I'm going to ask you, okay, so you don't like him. Who would you put there? That's the issue. And that's why I think he got here. <laughs> yes, exactly. As a big picture issue and... There were three quarterbacks at SEC Media Days out of 14 teams. I personally would have rather given it to Connor Bazelak. And that's not just because we had him on the podcast before. And I think that Eli Drinkowitz is a really good offensive mind. I think that what he showed in year one from an accuracy standpoint was better. And while he wasn't necessarily asked to do as much for that team down the stretch because they really relied on Larry Roundtree, I still would have more comfortable with him with the accuracy. And I think that he showed a lot more promise in year one than Bo Nix did, whereas that was more so just in flashes. I would also probably rather give it to one of the LSU quarterbacks, but nobody wants to do that because everybody says, well, if one of them ends up being the starting quarterback, that's going to look really stupid if one of them started off as a third-team All-SEC guy. I'd rather take Max Johnson. I'd rather take Miles Brennan over Bo Nix. So, yes, that's based on what I've seen so far. And, yeah, the, the sample size is really small for both of them as starters, but I still would have a much more comfortable time taking them as a starting quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that Bryce Young definitively should have been that guy, but I even would have gone with an Emory Jones, who at this point in his career has at least enough snaps and enough reps during the heat of a game to where you could say he's got enough experience to show up on this list, especially if you believe in Dan Mullen, the quarterback whisperer. So that's kind of how I would lean, but I understand that people default to the familiar names, and Bo Nix is a familiar name. I'd say real quick on Bo Nix, you made a great point about him having fewer than 400 rushing yards. I think that we kind of like put him under this archetype of almost like a Nick Fitzgerald. That's like, yeah, he's a limited passer, yeah, he's but, he's, not. but he's this athlete. Whereas like, you know, Emory Jones, yeah, it's like Emory Jones has a, court, a football skill that I could hang my hat on. You know what I'm saying? It's like he is a dual threat dynamic athlete, whereas we don't even really get that for Bo Nix. And, you know, you talk about the coaching with Dan Mullen. So I'm almost kind of talking myself into Emory Jones here because if you think about it it's like we don't even have like the Gus Malzahn 
QB whisperer thing going on. It's a new staff. We don't know what we're going to get out of Bo Nix. So even if it, if they had kept Gus, I would I would understand it a little bit more because, like you said, I, I think it goes back to not looking stupid because no matter what would have happened if they kept yeah. Gus, he would have been the starter at the end of the year. Now it's like he might even lose his job. I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah, so just a, a weird move, but not necessarily the most surprising given the way that things have gone in the past with this. Mm-hmm. Gripe number two. And this might surprise people because at this time last year, I was sipping the Kool-Aid really, really high on this guy as a player. Henry Toto as a first-team All-SEC linebacker. I'm not all in on him because while I, I love the instincts and I do want to sort of give him the benefit of the doubt because things last year with that Tennessee defense, it just fell apart. And when you're a guy who's being graded on being on the field all the time because your offense can't sustain drives, that sucks. And his grades reflected that. They really did. I mean, if you want to dig into this, some of the PFF numbers of Henry Toto were just really, really bad. Among SEC inside linebackers, he was number 31 overall. This is, again, just among SEC inside linebackers. He was number 12 against the run, which is his best skill, his ability to diagnose and read plays in the backfield. That's where he's going to be most valuable for Alabama. But then the passing game numbers, which that's that's the name of the game in this day and age, they were just not good. Number 33, he graded out among SEC inside linebackers as a pass rusher, and then number 34 in that group in coverage. Not great. Not great. And look, he had a 38.2 PFF grade on 315 coverage snaps. That is really, really bad. And I want to say, well, now he's going to be surrounded by more talent than ever. Alabama's got the best group of linebackers in the country with Will Anderson. You get Christian Harris, who's the better inside linebacker. Henry Toto should be in spots to be able to succeed. And maybe he's not necessarily going to be asked to cover up for all these other mistakes that he was at times in that Tennessee defense. But I still look back on what we saw from him last year. And yeah, he made a couple of big highlight reel plays. He had that pick six in the opener. And he had some moments where you're just like, oh, all the All-America buzz is really coming true with him. But then you kind of look at that stuff and you're just like, ugh. Did we just like him because he was a familiar name? He is a high profile transfer. I didn't agree with the athletic putting him at number two among pow- among transfers in all of college football. I thought that was a little bit too much love. And instead, you end up now with the entire first-team All-SEC linebackers. Or that's just Alabama's group of linebackers. Yep. Um, not putting Grant Morgan there, in my opinion, on first team. Uh, that's, that's a bit of the... I don't want to say it's like the recruiting confirmation bias, but there's, there's some of that there. I, I thought Morgan was just tremendous last year. And I'm not expecting people to all of a sudden say Adam Anderson is, is a better player than Henry Toto. But if you want to really dig into it and look at the pass rushing numbers for Adam Anderson, a guy that Georgia fans are really high on taking over for Aziz Ojolari, there's a lot to like. Um, and then if we're talking about the fact that Toto led Tennessee in tackles last year and he's a two-year starter and he's got all this experience, that's all well and good. But then shouldn't Zacoby McLean get the nod there? Because Auburn linebacker had 113 tackles last year. So I, I just look at those things and I kind of wonder, do we just kind of do the, oh, he's the familiar name, high profile program, high profile transfer, all those different things, instead of breaking it down based on what we actually saw from him this past year, which 
I think even if you asked him, he'd say it was a step back. And some of that inside of his control, some of that outside of his control. But he's got a lot of room for improvement. He's just not one of those guys that I would look at body of work and say, first team All-SEC linebacker. Is that a fair take? Um, Yeah, and, and it's almost like the issue with it, too, is there are, let me see, all three linebackers and two of the four DBs are from Alabama. <laughs> so unless their defense just implodes, it's going to be pretty hard to suss out and go, okay, well, these guys were good, but this guy was a glaring hole. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. this feels like a, if Alabama has a good defensive year, uh, he's going to be kind of carried with everyone else. And if they have a bad year, it's not going to be his fault. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's going to be like a fire peak golden year. Not to say that that's what's going to happen, but you know what I'm saying? So it's going to be hard to figure that out, especially now that everyone knows his name. But then exactly what you said. I mean, there are so many guys in the second team. You know, first team All-SEC linebacker is not a title you give away. You know, you look at Grant Morgan, uh, Zacoby McLean, and Ventral Miller. I mean, guys that have had great careers in the SEC so far. So, yeah, it's it's going to be hard to really get cold taked on that one, and that that's why I think a lot of people went safe with the Alabama mm. guys because it's going to be really hard. Unless someone's like a DB that's on an island, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be really hard to pick a bad spot out of a good defense. Dylan Moses was a guy that nobody in their right mind thought would be undrafted. Yep. Right? Like that. If you had told someone that a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, at any point in the last... I don't know, what was it, seven years ever since he was compared to the second coming of LeBron James and Bo Jackson on one Bleacher Report video or whatever that was. Yeah. Playing inside linebacker at Alabama is really hard. I think it is. And even if you are surrounded by talent and you can be kind of carried on that through it, I think that was one of the things that hurt Moses besides the fact that the medicals weren't great, obviously. Mm -hmm. But when you kind of just break it down and you're able to focus in on one specific player, sometimes that stuff will stand out. And I'm curious if that happens with Toto, but a lot of people have some very high expectations for him. I'm just not necessarily of the belief that I would have put him first team all SEC. Great number three. George Pickens was picked as a second team all SEC receiver. George Pickens has a torn ACL. What are we doing here? I literally started to ask you this question. I was like, am I stupid, bro? Because what's he doing there? (laughs) George, okay. So regardless of, and and I've been pretty upfront about this. I'm not as all in on George Pickens. I'm a little bit more skeptical. I was still really excited to see what he was going to be able to do for a full season, this offense, pre-draft year, all those things. That was almost like a lifetime achievement type thing. And he's not really a guy who's earned a lifetime achievement type thing. Um, I wouldn't have put him on all SEC team in general, even if I knew definitively, without a doubt, I could look into the crystal ball and say that he's playing for an entire half of a season. We don't know that yet. We assume he's probably going to come back in November. We'll see. But here's why I think Pickens got that love. There is a really clear top three receivers in the SEC this year. It's Traylon Burks, John Mechie, Keishon Butte. If you think somebody outside of that group is in the top three, I'll disagree with you. I'll just we'll agree to disagree until proven wrong. And then there's a pretty significant drop-off. The SEC had 11 receivers drafted last year, six of which went in the first two rounds. Yep. I talked about that with Chris Doring. There's a big-time changing of the guard at the wide receiver position this year. And that's not to say that other guys won't step up because they will. That's just the way the game is built. But still, Pickens is immensely talented not questioning that he's just not worthy of that that treatment and you could look at the basic metrics where you would see pickens playing through you know some injuries last year first part of the year as well he was number 20 in the sec in receiving yards in 2020 the pff numbers 
he was graded number 19 among SEC wideouts last year. So that, that's just factoring the time that he was on the field. I'm not going to do the whole uh, Kyrus Jackson is actually more valuable than George Pickens thing again. I've already stated my piece on that. I, I think it's worth remembering, though. I personally would have rather seen Anaya Smith or Wondell Robinson get that second team all-ICC type love. But I realize a lot of people are still kind of processing them more as tailbacks than as receivers. What about Jaden Wally? And again, I'm going to butcher that name so much because you cannot have a Jalen Waddle and then a Jaden Wally. They got to duel. That's just really difficult. They got to scrap. That, they got to duel. Somebody got to change their name. I'm going to set the over-under at six and a half times I mess up that name this year. But what Wally did as a true freshman last year at Mississippi State, besides just lead the team in receiving yards, he had 718 of those. He had four 100-yard games to end the regular season. That is more than George Pickens has had in his first two seasons. Don't I, I understand it's the air raid offense. Don't take that as, oh, I would definitively take, take Wally over Pickens. A healthy Pickens I'm still taking in that discussion, but he's not healthy. And putting a dude with a torn ACL as a second-team All-SEC player just kind of makes it seem like, he's, uh, like you haven't really thought this process through and you don't really want to, and you just want to go with the household names. Uh, Pickens, it'd be different if we were talking about Devontae Smith coming into last year or Jamar Chase or something like that, but we're, we're just not, and Pickens just isn't on that level. So I'm glad that you asked that question early on, or you, you, you let me kind of explain that on here before we came on because, you, I mean, am I crazy for thinking that that's a weird thing to do when we know he's going to be out indefinitely? No, yeah, and like seriously, I thought we were on like the waddle tip where it's like, oh, he he took the the Russell Wilson cancer water and he's just good now, bro. Like I was like, yeah. what's he what's he doing on here? <laughs> like, yeah, no. So and 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 I think I think you make a good point. I mean, there really isn't any type of prestige award here. You know, you, you hit it. He's had seven hundred yards and he had five hundred yards last year. It's not like he had a season like you know Keishawn Boutte where he caught fire at the end of the year and it's like, oh, we know we're only going to get him for five or six games, but those games are going to be electric. It's like, you know, and listen. Hoover legend, George Pickens, all right? Proud of Josh Niblett, big, very proud of George Pickens here. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we've been, he's the guy who we've been waiting to break out for his entire career. And that injury obviously is such terrible news because this would have been the year, you know, hopefully. But yeah, you know, we've been going back and forth about what brings people to do this. And this seems like one that it's almost certainly going to be cold take, like you said, because it's like, he's going to, even when he was more or less healthy, he was, you know, he had some stuff going on last year, but it wasn't like he was lighting the world on fire. And now let's say he has a great five or six games. Well, you know, in the, the some of the offenses that are running out there, lots of people are going to have a good five or six games. So he's going to get even more lost in the pack without having a full season it's just a it was an odd move when i saw that i was like wait wait a minute what what are we doing here um just surprising to 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 see that that he got that sort of love with such a, a serious injury that he's still working to come back from but wish him wish him the best hopefully he comes back soon i want pickens to play i want to see this georgia offense at full capacity i want to see what it can look like with a, a play caller who is willing to stretch the field and all those different things i want to see if jt daniels is is worth all this preseason buzz Great number four this isn't going to be a, a, a popular one not necessarily a household name in the sec though he should be mississippi state cornerback martin emerson was not listed as an all sec guy i had him second team and this is the tricky thing with the balloting process so a little peel behind the onion here when you fill out the All-SEC ballot, they ask you to just put your top eight defensive backs. It does not distinguish between corners and safeties. 
The SEC has better corners and running backs than any conference in America this year. There's no question about it. I'll get to return of the back in a minute here. We're going to talk a little bit about running backs. But Emerson got lost in the shuffle for a few reasons. Emmanuel Forbes, his teammate, was tied for the SEC lead in interceptions with Eli Ricks. Then again, that's the stat that people look a little bit too much at, even though they shouldn't. And again, because cornerback in the SEC is very, very deep. Ricks was pro football folks' highest graded corner in single coverage in America as a true freshman. And he wasn't even a first team guy. Those guys at PFF, they know what they're doing with that LSU tandem. They will not stop posting about them, and it's just upsetting everybody. And, like, listen, you know me, but I'm just like, could y'all post, like, 25% less about this? Because everybody knows. Trust me. Everybody knows. And uh, probably the top tweet every single time uh, in response to that is going to be nice to see that they ranked dead last in the country against the past. Right. That won't happen this year. Won't happen this year. Uh, first team defensive backs that were voted on by the media, Derek Stingley Jr., Josh Job, Malachi Moore, Kyrie Elam. No real gripes there because those guys are all potential All-Americans. Mm-hmm. I, I am not going to sit here and nitpick and, and say that, oh, Malachi Moore, more of like a slot corner type of guy. Should you really have a first team slot corner? Whatever. Um, corners got all the love there, though. And that's one of the things I didn't really like. I liked being able to distinguish. I... So I, I actually put Jalen Catalan and Jordan Battle as first-team guys as safeties because I thought we should have some way to distinguish there. If those two guys are the best at their positions, then they should be getting that sort of love. Second team was Ricks, Catalan, uh, Jordan Battle, and Smoke Monday. I like Smoke Monday, and that's this isn't a knock against him because I think he's going to have a really good year with Derek Mason. But Emerson is an elite outside corner who looks like the next Cam Dantzler at Mississippi State. Played 660 snaps at outside corner last year. Forced 11 incompletions, good for number 11 among Power 5 corners. PFF had Emerson graded out better than Malachi Moore, Roger McCreary, Jordan Battle, and he was number 6 overall among Power 5 corners. He was a really good player last year. Maybe the exchange that he had with Seth Williams wasn't the best way to end the regular season on, if you recall that. Seth Williams, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of dunked on him after after Emerson really called him out, was jawing at him. A tough sequence of events, but whatever. Who among Emerson, us wouldn't get dunked on in that situation, <laughs> yeah. to be fair? like Good for Seth Williams. Good for him to get a little bit of redemption after he made J.C. Horn a lot of money earlier in the year. Yep. But, you know, it, it, those those types of things happen. And when you're guarding number one receivers week after week, yeah, that, that's the type of stuff that comes up. Emerson is exceptional, and I, I thought he really took that year two step last year with Zach Arnett in that defense. I'll tell anybody who wants to hear it that Mississippi State is one of the top five cornerback duos in all of college football with Forbes and Emerson. So that's kind of why I wanted to include him here, also acknowledging that corner, defensive back, however you want to distinguish, it is really good in the SEC this year. All right, Will, you don't have any takes on that, do you? You don't, you don't want to get into the weeds on Mississippi State corners? No, no, it's, it's all just, I, I like that you have a, a, a consistent thing that you're going with. I, I like separating DBs and safeties because they are two totally different positions. I, I think that makes sense. Great, number five. You knew it was coming. <sighs> Kentucky running back, Chris Rodriguez, mm-hmm. my guy. He's a third-team All-SEC player. And usually guys who have never started a college game I'm not really going to be upset with. I put him as a first-team All-ACC guy. I spent hours, and I'm not kidding when I say this, I spent hours thinking about how I'd rank SEC running backs. 
Again, return in the back in the SEC, trademark pending. I think we're going to see some shades of 2015, maybe not quite those numbers where nine guys had 1,000-yard seasons that year. I don't think that's probably going to happen, but maybe some shades of that. Here's how I, I filled out my, my running back um, portion of the ballot. So third team, all SEC, I had Brian Robinson and Zamir White. Second team, Isaiah Spiller and Kevin Harris. And then first team, I had Tank Bigsby and Chris Rodriguez. And then I also copped out where I had Jerry Neely in that AP slot on first team, which it is a cop out. I'm going to admit that. I'm totally fine with it, whatever. This comes back to, again, if I'm building my team for this season, who do I want in my backfield? I want guys that are hell to bring down. And they can succeed regardless of what type of blocking they get or what type of defense they're up against. That's why I think C-Rod is elite already. And that's why I gave him first team All-SEC over Kevin Harris. So before you tell me that Rodriguez can't be a first teamer, never started a game again, he averaged seven yards a carry against the SEC last year with an average of 13 carries a game. So anything about him not being a featured back, I think that kind of debunks it. He's got six career 100-yard games. He had eight career games against Power 5 competition with double-digit carries, and he averaged 112 yards on 15 carries in those specific games. When you watch Rodriguez, you don't see that quick first step, and that's why he got slighted during the recruiting process. But the way that he brings on contact, the way that he explodes at the second level, is exactly what you would want in a tailback. And despite the, the fact that he doesn't really have that initial first step, if you look at his negative play percentage, it's best in the SEC last year. Shout out to SEC StatCat, who's been all over all of these different things. The advanced numbers love Chris Rodriguez. They really, really do. Rodriguez led the SEC in average yards after contact against SEC competition each of the last two years. He was number two in the SEC in terms of percentage of runs that picked up a first down or a touchdown. 41%. 41% of the time that that dude got a, got a carry, first down or touchdown. That's pretty good. Number one in the SEC in negative play percentage, as I said, just 2.52% of the time that he got a carry, it went for negative yardage. Kevin Harris... Number 25 in that department among SEC running backs. Not great. What really sold this argument for me was this. I always wonder with running backs, and Will, maybe you agree with this, maybe people listening to this also kind of look for this. How much are they a product of just excellent blocking mm -hmm. as opposed to excellent running? Those can kind of coincide, but they are still two different things. Average yards before contact. In other words, are you getting a wide open lane when you get carries? Kevin Harris was number two in the SEC. Chris Rodriguez, number 17. So in other words, Chris Rodriguez wasn't getting nearly the same types of holes in favorable running lanes that Kevin Harris was. They were both seeing a lot of loaded boxes. Not, not going to argue that. Average yards after contact. Harris was number 11. Chris Rodriguez was number one. One other thing about Kevin Harris, and don't take this as some anti-Kevin Harris take. I really, really like him. Most years... Nine out of 10 years, this is a first-team All-SEC running back, without a doubt. When facing top 50 defenses, Kevin Harris averaged 49 yards and 3.4 yards per carry. But against non-top 50 defenses, he averaged 142 rushing yards. Meanwhile, Chris Rodriguez put up 108 rushing yards against Georgia's number one run defense in college football. That's why I want to see Rod. That's why I think... If you give me that guy in any sort of system, I think he succeeds. And I think he takes on contact in an exceptional way. 
And I think that he's going to be in for a huge year as long as he can stay healthy in Liam Cohen's offense. Will, did that, did that kind of make sense to be able to, or, or did I get too, too much into like the, the, the next, you know, the, the metrics that are beyond basic rushing yards? Because a lot of people will just say, oh, well, guy had more rushing yards than any returning back, not name. I think Brees Hall was the only one who, who had more rushing yards than Kevin Harris. Are those things worth looking at or did I maybe get a little bit too into the weeds? So you've convinced me against Kevin Harris. That's done. Uh, my, okay. qu- my question is, though, you know, are you advocating for him being on the first team or the second team? No, I think Chris Rodriguez is first team All-SEC back. Well, then your gripe isn't with Kevin Harris. Your gripe is with either Tank Bigsby, Correct. Zamir White, or Isaiah Spiller. Because that's the logjam I run into looking at this list. Correct. Is, so Tank Bigsby's... Like, he's staying, right? We have no Agreed. Tank Bigsby grabs. So then it's like, well, you know, Zavir White, I mean, this guy's obviously been at Georgia for a long time. He has so many signature runs. You know what you're getting there. Um, Isaiah Spiller, I mean, you look at, you know, A&M, the talent they have coming back, the type of year you're expecting him to have. So you've, you've Kevin Harris is out of here. In my, in my, in my mind, you know, we're looking at... I, I bring up Kevin Harris, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I bring up Kevin Harris just because that's where the breakdown really was. And right. I saw a lot of this back and forth on Twitter. So you're, you're right. Thank you for, for, for addressing that because he got second team and I had him on second team. So that really wasn't where my gripe was. It was, it was, it probably should have been directed more so at Spiller who is more accomplished from a, a cumulative standpoint, but not in the same way when you actually break down some of those factors like Rodriguez. That, that's what I'm saying. We got to get two of those guys out of there. We got to get, I mean, we're get some Bigsby's up there. So we got to get either Spiller or Zamir White out of there. Now, I personally can't do that. You have a lot more stats than I do. That might be possible. <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I didn't have that type of deep numbers on Kevin Harris, but I, I, I do think that there's a pretty big gap between, there's, it's a top four to me. Yeah, and I get why Spiller was first team All SEC. I mean, I totally get that. And for what it's worth, no problem what's whatsoever with the player. I, I think he's phenomenal, and I think A and M is probably the best one through three running back trio of anybody in college football. Georgia's maybe the only other team that can make a case. Mm-hmm. But for me, this breaks down to the explosiveness with Zamir White that everybody came to know and love when he was this superstar recruit coming out of North Carolina. We've seen it just kind of in flashes. You see it in that first play in the Florida game. You see it in these moments where you're like, all right, that's that dude. You watched him take over in that Baylor game a couple years ago. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a sugar bowl. Mm-hmm. You see it in flashes, but you don't see it necessarily on a consistent basis. And so with, with, with White, I kind of look at like, all right, do Georgia fans feel better when James Cook is in the game? Probably. Probably, that's that's a bit of, okay. So that's a bit of my thing with with White, and I think he gets a little bit of the familiar name type of type of love, and everybody's known about him and who he was for the last five years. And he's the five star guy, and he. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that it was it was a notch below what we've come to expect from Georgia backs, which is a really high standard set by the Chubbs, the Michelles, the Swifts of the world, the Gurleys, but. I would look at him and, and say, well, I kind of feel better if James Cook was out there and healthy. I know there are a lot of Georgia fans that would agree. So why would I put him first team all SEC if I am not totally 100% sold that he's the best back on his own team? So that's part of it. And that sort of works against Spiller. And that might not be the most fair thing because I think you saw Devon A. Chain and Jimbo was saying it, a chain. 
So I don't know, we're gonna go back and forth with this pronunciation all year, just like the Eric Gilbert thing. And if you didn't see the story that we put on SaturdayDownSouth.com about Eric Gilbert's pronunciation, hearing Stingley and Kirby call him Arik at SEC Media Days, I'm like, oh gosh, we're doing this again. Oh, no. And he said, he said it's actually pronounced Arik, but he, he calls himself Eric. So call, whatever, call Eric Gilbert whatever you want. That's the moral of the story here. But with, with A-Chain, what he did in the Orange Bowl was exceptional after Spiller went down. And does that work against Spiller a little bit? Eh, probably. Should it? I don't know. But I, I think that, that Spiller wins all the cumulative awards. The knock on him is that he's actually ranked outside in the top outside of the top 10 in the SEC in broken tackle rate. And he was number 19 among qualified SEC backs in negative play percentage. So that's why he really didn't get a lot of the PFF love wasn't among the top he okay so he was number 10 among sec backs in 2020 according to pff like just inside the top 10 and it's not all about this because i think spiller's awesome and right. one of the best moments of the entire season last year was him dropping the hammer on ventro miller yep. that play against florida was remarkable that's exactly what you want your running back to do when your back's against the wall and i would take him in a heartbeat but would I trust Chris Rodriguez to get through contact a little bit more based on what we've seen? Yeah. So that's why I give him the, the first team nod. So then, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you look at, you know, the situations, like you said, not to like get too much deeper into this, but, you know, um, Georgia is always going to be going to have some type of running back. But, you know, we've kind of gotten there with Kentucky. We've gotten there to where they, they're an yeah. offensive line factory. You look up and down this, you know, the, the offensive line, they're going to have some dudes. And it wouldn't shock me at all if he finished the end of the year, you know. So I think that's a good, a good, you know, shot to call. I think that could very, very easily work out for you. Because we can just look at this and just do based on career rushing yards. We can just base it on twenty twenty rushing yards. Whatever you want to do, and that's fine. I just kind of wanted to base this on something a little bit different, and what we've still based on what I've actually seen. And I'm not trying to project, yeah, you know, in some weird way down the road. But I just think that's a pretty good indication of, of performance. All right. Any other gripes that I should bring up here? I mean, listen, no one can call me a homer. I feel like uh, Eric Gilbert should be on here somewhere, man. I, I, whatever they want to call him, they want to call him a tight end. They want to call yeah. him a wide receiver. It would even make more sense as a wide receiver because, as we've discussed, there's kind of a gap in the wide receivers. Maybe that kind of is what threw him a little bit because they did the whole preseason media tour where they were like, we're going to play him a wide receiver a little bit. But... I don't know. I mean, that's a guy that we saw him be in bad situations at LSU. I mean, just call it what it is and have all, you know, everything kind of like stacked against him. And he was still a go-to target the minute he stepped on the field. Bunch of quarterback changes. Now he's going to be in this offense where their number one receiver goes down. It just seems like once we get to the end of the year, it would be absolutely shocking if he didn't have a top three tight end year. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he's going to be treated as a tight end, and that's the problem. If you, if you were being treated as a tight end... He would have been he would have been the second team All SEC tight end at least mm -hmm. ahead of my guy you know my guy Billingsley yep uh, but no he didn't he didn't get put in that spot because Georgia has come out and said you're gonna play receiver yeah you're, he's gonna play a lot on the outside as I've as I've broken down with the Pickens thing Pickens played 92 percent of his snaps on the outside if the expectation is that Eric Gilbert is going to be playing on the outside we still need to kind of see how that's going to look having only played I think the numbers he only played six percent of his snaps at the outside receiver position last year he played a lot more in the slot played a lot in line I think George is going to move him around 
they're going to be comfortable doing that. They want game defenses to to have to to factor him in, but maybe that factored into it. Maybe the question about his eligibility also played a part in that. Though Kirby has said that he's going to be he's on track to be eligible for the start of the year. Listen, they're putting uh, out like preseason all academic graphics yeah. on him. They they know this dude's playing. So oh yeah, I mean, so yeah, like like point being, it's like especially, and I agree, like everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. But, like, if we're looking here at George Pickens on this second team, it's like, this guy's going to have a better year than George Pickens, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to – if he stays healthy, it's – I don't see how he doesn't. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that's I think that's a fair point. And I don't think anybody would be necessarily surprised to see Eric Gilbert end up on an all-ICC team, especially if he can stay healthy and especially if he can stay eligible. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go to our interviews. Let's start with my guy, Dari Noka. Dari is an Oklahoma grad, diehard Sooner fan. So it's kind of worlds colliding for him right now. Fun to be able to get his reaction on Oklahoma to the SEC. And then we'll kick it to Aaron Murray, who I sat down with at SEC Media Days. Again, have a little bit of patience with the the background noise, the audio, uh, a lot going on in Hoover. Uh, But it was great to be able to talk with him about a lot of Georgia stuff, a little NIL, talk some JT Daniels, and a lot more. So first, Darinoka, then Aaron Murray. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is SEC Network's Dari Noka, aka the only Oklahoma grad I know, I think. Um, Dari, I, I don't know, man, I don't know what you did to the sports gods, but they are smiling down on you, my friend. First, your beloved Dodgers, they finally win a World Series, and now your alma mater, Oklahoma, coming to the conference that you cover. Tell the rest of us who are trying to get some good juju as sports fans what we need to do to get the same vibes you've been getting. Um, well, first of all, am I really the only Oklahoma grad you know? Like, that's crazy to me. I think so. Wow. It just Our paths just don't really okay. cross. I just don't – I'm not really yeah, part of that, that part of the country. Yeah. So, okay. So, first of all, what do I have to do to have the gods smile down on me? Uh, take two decades of crap from them, to be quite honest. <laughs> How many World Series have the Dodgers are, uh, played in before they won this one? Since 1988. How many, uh, I might remind you that Oklahoma is uh, 0 and 7 in their last appearances in either BCS national championship games or college football playoff games. So the Dodgers and Sooners have put me through enough crap for a couple of decades that, Connor, it is about damn time I get a little bit to go my way when it comes to those two teams that I root for like crazy. So, um, you know, you, you suffer long enough, you're bound to get a little bit of a break. Tell me what your reaction was when you <laughs> found all of this out, because you you weren't on air or anything when, when this report dropped, nope. I, I don't think at least, but just tell me kind of the, the backstory of, of finding out all this, because I think everybody had a, had a different reaction when they first heard the news. I was, um, so I was out with my wife, we had uh, had a doctor's appointment we went to, and we were literally at a taco place sitting in the car waiting for carryout, all right? And my and then I get an alert on my phone, Oklahoma and Texas um, expected to join SEC or, or talks of joining SEC. It was something, you know, it was a week and a half ago or whatever. And I literally looked at her and I said, holy, eh, you know, like, holy bleep read this my wife is not a sports fan i mean like we don't talk sports she it just doesn't care 
and I'm good with that because I talk about it with enough other people. So I don't need that at home. But she goes, seriously, like you're going to get to cover Oklahoma? Like, really? Oh, my gosh. Well, congratulations. And and it started like a 30-minute conversation about what would have to happen next. What would the Big 12 think of that? You know, all of this stuff. Why Texas? Why not OSU? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, that, but my reaction was literally like, holy blank, this is amazing. It really is, Connor. Like, you know, I was not an SEC guy by birth like you. You know, I, I was not born into this, bred into this. I didn't go to an SEC school. Um, let's see here. To this day, I've never lived in an SEC state. I mean, we don't have an SEC team here in North Carolina. True. Um, but I've grown over the years, even before the SEC network, when I was in Bristol doing, you know, covering college sports. Uh, primarily, to really appreciate this league. And I've grown to love this league. Never did I expect my alma mater to be a part of this league. It didn't. I didn't need them to be. I, I just really – and I've always really appreciated the fact that they weren't because I could be outwardly uh, pro-Sooners on Twitter, wherever else I wanted to be, without them clashing with an SEC team on a regular basis. Of course, over the years, they've played and gotten whipped by SEC football teams in big moments. It's happened. But though, when those matchups are happening, I'm not pro-Sooner in any way outwardly. So I've always kind of liked that. But then really the idea that they're going to be a part of this league, like good for them, good for their fans, because they're going to start having much more attractive games to go watch in Norman. Um, and, and now I've really like embraced the idea that here they are. And this is going to be a part of my daily job, my daily life, getting to cover Oklahoma as well as 15 other schools. It's pretty cool. Let the record show that Dari, for everybody listening at home, Dari said that I was born in an SEC state. Anybody who's ever called me a Yankee, even though I spent 22 years of my life, well, like 25, actually, technically, if you want to count Nebraska, living in the Midwest. So let Dari, Dari said it, it's official, so nobody can give me crap about that anymore. I am not a Yankee. Living in Orlando is SEC country. Everybody knows that, so we're we're all good on that front. Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, I said said you were not born in an SEC state. Was I wrong? Oh, no, no. okay, okay, my bad. I misheard you. So I keep doing this thing, and I did it with Will, our producer, where I like, I like kind of poked a joke at, at like trying to almost correct him. And then I just turn out to be wrong. So moral of the story is actually just basically <laughs> assume that I'm always wrong with everything. Yeah. Um, but so you you're exactly what? right. Like, Connor, as I'm, as I'm thinking back on this now, I think I said I was not born in an SEC state like you. And when there I said go. like you, I was referencing the not being born in an SEC state. But I can oh. completely see how my grammatical structure would have screwed that up. That's on me. I'll take the L on that one. That's yeah, yeah. Um, So you hinted at this. You're actually going to fit in more at SEC Network now because everybody has their team in the SEC. You know, PB has LSU, Doring has Florida, Chiswick has Auburn, Roman, Bama. I mean, the list goes. Uh, Alyssa has South Carolina. Like it kind of just goes on and on yeah. and on. And now you have Oklahoma. Your chops, though, as an unbiased journalist, they're going to be tested in a different sort of way. But at the same time, I do feel like all these playoff losses to SEC teams have just kind of been practice for you. <laughs> it, it, I tell you, man, like, yeah, and I've been on the sidelines for all of them. So it's been painful uh, as a Sooner fan. I, I've, I'm certainly not going to hide the fact that on the inside, like, we all love our alma maters. There's nothing 
uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell the world that when OU plays Alabama, I really don't care who wins. Like on the inside, of course I have a preference. We all do. I mean, don't tell me when Florida's playing Georgia or anybody else that CD, Chris Doring, isn't sitting there on the inside and when we're watching the game off air on the outside very much rooting for Florida like he, he is. We all love where we're from, where we went to school. We have connections that will never die. So the, that's a thing. But um, on the air, it's going to be totally fair, and there's not going to be – in fact, the only time it ever comes out on the air when OU's getting ready to play an SEC team is when somebody I'm doing the show with brings it up. It, whether, you know, Doring's like, oh, I bet this will be interesting for you, or, you know, geez, I bet you hated when OU was actually up 7-zip on Georgia. You know, like something like that. When somebody else brings it up, it comes up. Otherwise, it doesn't, and I, it really shouldn't, and it won't. But, yes, I mean, you know, the conversations that we'll get to have on the regular in the office that I will now get to be a part of off the air of everybody's school is playing everybody's school, that'll be pretty fun. But, Connor, I'm going to go back to a conversation I had when we started the network back in 14 – July of 14 at SEC Media Days, a, a whole bunch of us from ESPN went to dinner with the SEC office and, and Commissioner Mike Slive. And I was sitting across from Sly, uh, Mike Slive at that dinner. And he said, and I said to him, I was like, you're, you know, like your main host did not go to an SEC school and has no SEC allegiance whatsoever. Like, you're good with that? And he goes, Dari, I love it. Nobody can look at anything you say and accuse you of being biased. Right. So that was actually a good thing that worked in my favor. But I think now um, this is even a better thing, to be honest, because, you know, Oklahoma is a state where I have a lot of friends and I have a lot of connections and I have a lot of people who pay some attention to what I do and what I say. And I look forward to bringing them into the network. I really do. I think this is going to be fun. That live story is great. And I, I relate to you on that front because Whenever, so I, I, I think it's a, a nice compliment when somebody says to me as an Indiana grad, oh, hey, like, I know you don't specifically like one of these SEC teams more than another because, like, you went to Indiana. I mean, you're not just going to be that guy who's going to be right. outwardly rooting for it. And that's okay. And it'd be, you know, it's, it's, it's just different when you cross into that realm. And now that Indiana's, like, decent with football, that's creating a, a very yep. unprecedented set of circumstances for me. And I'm sure this this for you is going to take some adjusting. So, you know, we talk about the the fan bases a lot with specific SEC programs. What do we as SEC fans need to know about the Oklahoma fan base that we maybe don't know already? Like, is it sensitive or like, yeah. are you guys able to, to make jokes about the fact that your, your mascot is a wagon? Uh, no question about it. I mean, you know, like we, we can make jokes. Look, here's the thing SEC fan bases need to know about Oklahoma's fan base. It's just like you. Like, it's just like you. I mean, you know, the SEC fan, the average SEC fan, puts more importance on their team's athletic success in their daily lives than most fan bases. You know, like what their team does, particularly in football, means more to them, dictates their mood more, dictates how the rest of their week goes more than in most of the country. But you know what? Oklahoma's right there with you. It's the same fan. It's the same philosophy on sports. It's the same philosophy on the importance of sports. It's the same fan that will oftentimes spend their last dollar, not on food for their belly, but on a ticket to the game. Like, that's who they are. 
And that's not a shot. That's what makes the network succeed. That's what makes the fans great. That's what makes the conference great. They care. And Texas is the same way. I mean, like, you know, I'm an Oklahoma grad. I know you're coming at me more from, like, the OU perspective. But I grew up in that OU-Texas rivalry. And over the years, I have gotten to really appreciate, not dislike anymore like I did when I was younger, Texas. And I have so many friends who are Texas grads and Texas fans. They're the same. Like, there is just this incredible level of importance that OU fans and Texas fans place on college athletics at those universities that, frankly, is only matched, maybe with the possible exception of an Ohio State or a Michigan somewhere, but that it really is only matched by SEC fan bases. They're going to fit right in. I've heard a lot of people say that they can't wait to make that first trip to Austin or to Norman, and I, I think that's cool. I, I think that, that it's cool that a lot of these teams, you know, if you're a fan of South Carolina or Georgia or Tennessee and you haven't necessarily gotten to, to, to make a, a trip like that because it's just not part of your, your fall routine, that's just going to be part of the SEC's DNA moving forward. And I think that's such a big selling point for getting some of these other fan bases on board with this. Um, other question that people are really wondering about, how long do we wait uh, for Oklahoma to win an SEC title? Are, are you of the belief that it can happen within the first two years? Because a lot of people didn't think that A&M would have the success that it had in year one, of course, with Manziel, the top five finish and all those different things. He beat Alabama. Yeah. Like, do you think Oklahoma has a level higher that it needs to reach with its recruiting? Or is it going to be they're going to come into the SEC and they're going to be able to compete for a conference championship right away? I well right and right now we're going on 2025 like that's that's what we're anticipating for their entrance so we're four years away they will without question be able to compete for an SEC championship in year one because of the way that recruiting has gone you know they're they're very quite possibly going to be number one in the preseason polls coming out nationally this year now if they were an SEC team they probably wouldn't because the schedule is much more of a grind That certainly is a factor there. But over the last two or three years, and and frankly, getting beat by Georgia and Alabama and LSU has really woken them up to this reality, that if you want to compete with those programs, you need to start to look more like those programs. You know, they can't be 260 and 270 across the offensive front or 280, 290. They need those 310s, 320s, the occasional 330-pound horse up there. They're getting them. The defensive front, Gene Chizik and I used to have these conversations all the time. Sorry, they have built a defense to deal with the speed of the Big 12, not to deal with the size up front that they're going to have to contest when they play in a playoff game. And he's so right. And Alex Grinch recognizes that, their defensive coordinator. And they have recruited guys that look more like SEC slash Clemson slash Ohio State guys. So as that continues, every day that continues, they become a team that is going to be more like an Alabama when they walk into this league. And frankly, getting to now go into Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia and South Carolina and look at those, and Louisiana and look at those dudes, the 330-pound hosses that are the number one, two, and three ranked offensive tackles and defensive tackles in the country coming out of high school. Hey, we're going to, you know, we're playing in your state twice over your four years, or we're going to be playing within 200 miles of you six times in the next three years. They're going to start getting those dudes to Norman, and they'll be ready and prepared, I think, when they enter the league to be a a top team in it. 
I think SEC fans should be rooting for Oklahoma when their team is not necessarily in playoff contention and all those things, obviously, to win a national championship this year. Because the more I think about this, the more Oklahoma, I think, has the DNA moving forward, especially with that you look at you you could look back at the last 10 years and see the the clear difference that Lincoln Riley has made from a recruiting standpoint recruiting the offensive skill players especially but you talk about being able to get those defensive players Alex Grinch is the key to this whole thing if Alex Grinch just gets a job uh, a power 5 head coaching job which could very much be in the cards it changes i think what Oklahoma's yeah. ceiling looks like because people have seen what it looked like with Ruffin McNeil with Mike Stoops for a long time of course and the defensive part is the entire key to Oklahoma's ceiling because we know that they can score, and they've actually scored against SEC teams. So, like, have you already done yeah. your please, Alex Grinch, let's, as, as Oklahoma fans, we need to do everything <laughs> in our power to keep him there as long as possible? Uh, it's funny because two years ago when they were playing LSU uh, in the Peach Bowl, we all remember how, how that went. But um, at the media at media days uh, the day before that, we, we broadcast that live, but – we also get a lot of the SEC's opponent on the set with us. And we had Alex come up there. And I had talked to Alex once before and, and discussed being an OU grad. And as we were in commercial break, I said, man, you realize, like, you can't leave? Like, you just can't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, and he gives me the old, man, I love it here. You, you went to school at a great place, and I'm so happy here and all that. But, no, that's the reality. Like, Alex Grinch is going to get opportunities. And if he takes them, then you hope that he – has assembled people that somebody that is uh, uh, able to step into that DC role in Norman and kind of continue what they're doing. And at the same time, um, you know, Alex Grinch may be in line for a massive pay raise where maybe you want to kind of like test your chops as a defensive coach at the SEC in the SEC and, uh, and maybe not jump at a, you know, group of five type of, of job potentially uh, if that's what were to come his way. So, you know, I don't know. In four years, if that's when the entrance officially is, I don't know if Alex will be there. But I certainly would hope that he has set the groundwork for what it takes to look like an SEC-ready defense. And I know there are people probably listening to this thinking, Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator of the Peach Bowl. Why in the world would we fear that guy coming to the SEC? But I just think that yeah. what he's done in the last last year plus, and if you look back on that game, I mean, Oklahoma wasn't going to be able to compete that day defensively, and then when they had the injury issues, there was just even less than 0% chance that they were going to be able to stay on that 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 field with LSU's offense. But um, let's well, end with a game. And it wasn't even just that. Remember, like, their best player was Ronnie Perkins, and he tested yeah. positive and was – like, they had sus guys suspended. Injuries, suspensions, it was a it was an absolute nightmare on that in that game. Basically could not have gone worse. Everything that could go wrong for Oklahoma uh, did that day. And even if everything had gone right for them, they're, they're still not winning that game. But, yeah, that's, that's definitely what helped right. make it so, uh, so lopsided. So uh, let's, let's end yep. with a game that I, I just invented, and it's called Flagged, Find, or Fired. If Sankey – so this is a key question here, and a lot of people are wondering about this, I bet. If Sankey saw you throw a horns down during a live broadcast – would you get flagged, fined, or fired? I would get flagged. Yeah. I, I would get flagged. Um, I, you know, I know him well enough. He knows where that would come from, and he knows that I would instantly <laughs> realize I probably should not have done that. <laughs> so I think it would be a flag. 
It would probably be a call or a text like, uh, you know, you can't do that these days, right? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. They're one of our 16 members. Oh, that's right. We brought them in, too. Okay. I thought it was just Oklahoma. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we, we, we can't. Seriously, though. I mean, we need to figure that stuff out before before Texas you know, comes aboard officially. And that all needs to be laid out. I was so glad that Eli Drinkwitz was willing to ask Greg Sankey the tough question and get that out there. We, it needs to yeah. be known because if that's going to be flagged every single time, Texas is going to be so hated. It's kind of like if you were a rich kid going to a new school, everybody's going to look at that kid and they're going to be jealous. They're going to be like, wow, they get this special treatment. Good for them. That's that's kind of annoying. But, I mean, we got to get that figured yeah. out, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if they go with the Big 12 rule, like, right, they've kind of amended it to where you just can't do it in the direction of a player. Yeah. You know, so if you want to run around the sidelines and you do it, that's fine, whatever. I mean, it's like – I, I've never, first of all, as an Oklahoma guy, the fact that our fans do that when we're not playing Texas to me is idiotic. <laughs> like, it's the, you'll, you'll like, you know, like there'll be a game on television. It's like, oh, you Kansas State, and they're panning the crowd, and all of these morons have horns down. It's freaking Kansas State. Like, what are we doing? You don't do that for Texas and only Texas. So the fact that it's like become part of OU's little, little, Thing is just dumb unless it's playing Texas. So I have no problem saying that. Um, secondly, like, if you're Texas, don't you kind of, like, enjoy that everybody hates you that much? Right. Or, or has, you know, like, that's a sign. And the fact that they care, and I realize this is one of our members coming in, so I'm not trying to, like, badmouth them, but if I had had a decade or a decade and a half of absolute, utter mediocrity, but people still cared enough to flash the horns down at me, like, I feel fortunate, really. So they should be rewarded. I don't that's, know. That's what I'm hearing of, of all of this, is that Texas should should feel like they're, they're getting a pat on the back. It's good for the brand. They're going to up that. They're going to up the, the TV contract every single time they see a horns down thrown. That's right. Realistically, yeah. I mean, seriously. Like, we can be this average for this long, and people still care enough to give us horns down. Good for us. Texas is doing something right. Dari... Really, really yep. appreciate the time, man. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. And uh, best of luck with everything. You are officially a member of the SEC now. Congratulations, man. <laughs> I love it, man. It's great. I appreciate it. Aaron Murray joining the podcast. Aaron, um, got a lot to talk about. And I want to get into all this name, image, likeness stuff, 12-team playoff. But um, you are here on behalf of Ball State. I know you're doing some fine work with the folks over there. Um, tell me, uh, tell our listeners as well briefly about the stuff you're doing with the Good Works team. Yeah, so this is the 30th year that All State um, and the Good Works team has, has been sponsoring and, and really spreading the message for these young men, which is tremendous and building this team. So I was lucky enough in 2012 to be a part of the All State Good Works team, uh, mostly through my work with extra special people. So it's a group in Athens uh, that works with kids with special needs, both physical and, and, and mental. I actually just had our, our second annual golf charity golf tournament with them that my family helps put on. Uh, so my work with them has continued, which is great. I think for a lot of these kids who have been nominated, the 109 that have been nominated, and the 22 that will eventually make this good work team this season, you know, they get to really show that, hey, I'm not just a football player. I am a guy that is, you know, whatever their issue may be that they're working with, whether it's with, with like myself, kids with mental, physical, physical disabilities, whether it is with COVID relief, whether it is with 
uh, racial injustice, that they get to shine a light on that and say, hey, I am the football player, but I'm also you know, outside the helmet. I'm, I'm a student athlete, I'm a student, and I also have my causes and things that I enjoy to do outside of football. So I think it's great. Also, it does a tremendous job, like I said, putting a really great light on these causes and, and really allowing these kids to share their message. Aaron, we're here at SEC Media Days. For those who can't hear by the background and all that's going on right now, um, you've been here before, obviously. You've been here as a player. You've been here as a media member. You're here you know, as, as kind of both and as a spokesperson as well this time. Take me back to being here as a player. Now, picture throwing on top of all of that name, image, and likeness and the opportunities that would have been available. Can you even fathom what that would have been like in your position? Well, I can tell you what, my suit game would have been a lot better. It would have been pretty strong if I was able to get some deals with uh, some suit companies. And I haven't seen any fresh. of that yet. It's I surprising. know. I would have been coming in looking pretty darn good, uh, a lot better than, than my probably oversized uh, suit that I had back in as a college student. Um, but, man, these kids, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm jealous. They're, they're making some – when Saban came out yesterday saying the oh. price is making seven figures, I'm like, oh, my – because I've talked to JT a ton. You know, funny story. Uh, I was with JT Daniels three weeks ago, four weeks ago at a charity golf tournament. It was Pollock's golf tournament there in Athens. And, you know, we, I think we met briefly once before, but I went up there and just, we were talking, chatting, and I was like, you play golf? And he's like, no, never played. I was like, well, you, you know, you really, as, as the starting quarterback for Georgia, you need to learn how to play golf because people are going to want to take you golfing and right. you need to be good at it. I was like, you should hit up Coach Hack, the golf coach. He'll give you lessons. He tried to give me lessons my whole time there. Fast forward two weeks later, I was at another golf tournament with JT, and he came up to me and he's like, hey, I need Coach Hack's number. I need some lessons. I was like, all right, so here you go. I sent it to him. He's like, yeah, Titleist called me, and they want to do like a whole club fitting, give me clubs, and then give me no some money. Way. I'm like, dude, you don't even play golf. Like, I want the damn contract because I actually play golf and enjoy golf. Tell Titleist that they want a true quarterback that plays, hit me up. Uh, like, stuff like that. He's like, dude, I'm getting hit up left and right. I'm like, man, good for you. Uh, I wish, but uh, yeah, take advantage of it. You know, uh, I talked to JT yesterday some more about it. He's like, man, it's it's great. He's just you know working through the balance of the whole thing. Of yeah, making sure that it's still football first, football first, football first, and school. Uh, and then if I can fit this stuff in on the side, I'll do it. Would you have been on Cameo as a player? Is that the one where you can you know videos where you basically get to give somebody a, a happy birthday? Shot? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the right price, yeah. Um, it but that's fun. the question. The price, and I saw, you know, Spencer Radler come, comes out. He's, he's on like cameo. 150 or something like, for, like, oh, autographs yeah. or, you know, a picture and stuff like that. I mean, listen, you can go you can look at it two ways. And it's just like with you know, people who work in business all the time. You can do, uh, you know, 100 deals for 10 bucks each, or you can do 10 deals for 100 bucks each. So yeah. you, you, if you put your, your price point up way high, you may get less, but is it, it's probably better for your time and your responsibilities with having to still be a student athlete. So you know, if I'm them, I would rather go high too and just do less deals. So it's kind of smart that way. Well, I, I, and this is the thing that I keep bringing up with NIL stuff, and I, I'm fascinated by what's going to happen when know in season when all these requests are coming in and you know your value like go back 2013 2013 LSU game right after that you get a ton of people probably that would have reached out to you and said at the same time you feel that sense of urgency as a player you've been through it you understand what that's like and know that those opportunities can be fleeting 
how would you have negotiated if, if national companies are reaching out to you mid-season when you know what's at stake there? You have to know your schedule and you just have to know what's most important and kind of understand that, hey, you know, if I'm going to do that as a chance to play in the NFL, like, is this, you know, $4,000 opportunity going to be worth it if I go out there and crap the bed the next week and hurt my draft stock? Like, yeah. I mean, that's how you have to weigh it. You know, if you have a chance to make millions of dollars in the NFL or $2,000 on a random Wednesday, what would you rather do? You know, would you rather go to therapy and watch some more film? You know, I'd rather do that and sacrifice it. So it's all about timing. Like, like I said, talking with JT the other day, he's like, man, when June 1st hits, my mindset's on football first. And if I yeah. have some free time where I can do something for an hour or two, I'll do it. Uh, and a lot of times with, with most of these companies, with social media, most of them are just posting something. You yeah, know, it so, seems pretty which, easy. Which is easy. You know, if, if you sign a deal where like, hey, I have to post, you know, three times on my social media and, you know, two times have to be stories, one time to uh, uh, post post. Yeah. That's easy. And they pay me 5,000 bucks, whatever it is. That, that's something where it doesn't take a lot of my time. So I think you just have to figure out what, you know, what's authentic to who you are and to how can I fit into my schedule. If it's appearance at a restaurant, maybe that doesn't work out during yeah. the season. Maybe it's like, hey, I'll do it, but it's going to have to be through January to May. Uh, but if it's a social media post, yeah, I can do it on a random Wednesday. I can do it, shoot, I can do it Friday night before the game or right. Saturday after the game, I'll do a post. For those who don't know JT, you've gotten to know him a little bit differently. and. A strange way for him to be introduced to the SEC and introduced to Georgia with some of the circumstances last year, and it's besides just the fact that it's COVID, and it's like, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? All those different things. You've been able to kind of see him and talk about him in a way that probably not a lot of people get access to, with being able to see what he's like on the golf course and all that stuff. What is JT Daniels like? Because we see this California cool, and he looks like a dude who just has it all figured out. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a cool cat. He's a smart dude, I'll tell you that. Um, you talk to people within the facility, you talk to Kirby, you talk to uh, Munkin, they're like, man, he knows football. Yeah. He loves football. He gets X and O's. Uh, he cares about it. I mean, it's one thing. Um, but he's a good dude. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, we haven't, like, gotten out of beer or anything like that. We've, we've chatted up a we'll bunch save of the that golf for the end of the season. Yeah, we'll yeah. save that for the end of the season. Uh, but he's a good dude. Uh, team, yeah, like I said, everyone I've talked to, people on the team respect him. They like him. And he knows ball. I think that's the most important thing. If you're going to be a quarterback of a team, you better know your stuff because dudes are going to respect you a lot more if you do. But he is definitely Cali cool. I'll say that. He's yeah. not like some – he ain't Jake Fromm. I'll say that. He ain't hunting and fishing and Mr. Southern boy. He is uh, He is Mr. Cali. So it's a little bit – it's more that personality. The suit yesterday, he looked like somebody – I think somebody made a comparison on Twitter looking like a guy from Reservoir Dogs or something. Yeah. He just the mustache. I'm still the, the question. He got rid of it, though. I know, which I'm happy he did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why not? Why why can't a quarterback of a big time program have a mustache? What's, well, what's wrong just, with I'm, that? I'm fine with it if it was a little thicker. Well, you know, if it was like yours and you decided to go with mustache. Thank I you for complimenting my facial hair. Yeah, I needed like, that. Today. I can't do the mustache. I just it doesn't. It's a little too um, wispy, I guess. But it's just not full manly mustache. So <laughs> he his is like uh, what's the the rat in the cartoon. Like Ratatouille? Yeah, Ratatouille. His is almost like that. Is that, a, is that, do we just reference something that's got nothing to do with that? I don't know. I, I think it is. Either. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I was going for. It's okay. not the thick right. mustache. If you're, like, um, what's his name? Uh, quarterback for the Jaguars now. Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew. Yeah. He can rock a mustache. Yeah. It looked good. A little silly, but it looked good. 
takes a certain breed of human to do it. It does. JT just is not that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not that guy either. I couldn't rock it. Yeah, I hear so, you. So, just not all of us are built with the, the great uh, facial hair. <laughs> Total team playoff. When you hear that thrown out there, do you then go back to, I would, I mean, everybody went back to 2012, Georgia. Yeah. Everybody's talking about this team. First of all, that team, had it gotten even just a four-team playoff, national championship, did they win it? Um, well, we would have faced Notre Dame in the first round, probably, because we would have most likely been the fourth seed. So it would have been Notre Dame one, Alabama two, uh, Oregon three. I think you're right. I think that. Oregon three, and then we would have been four. So we would have faced Notre Dame, would have beat the living crap out of them, just like Alabama did, most likely. Yeah. So it would have been a rematch against Alabama or played Oregon. So, and, and we all know what happened at the championship game. I mean, two elite teams just slugging it out. So who knows what would have happened? But I guarantee you, we probably would have had a rematch yeah. most likely against those dudes uh, and, and um, have a second opportunity. But I was always a purist when it came to the, the 14 playoff. I liked it. I, there's only three or four teams, and sometimes only two teams that are are true champions. You yeah. know who's going to win it. But I, I've covered a lot of group of five teams. I've covered a lot of Cincinnati. I've covered a lot of Boise State in my four years with, with CBS. I love those schools. I love the players. I love the coaches. You know, like, like Cincinnati with Desmond Ritter and Luke Fickle as head coach. And I, think I think Cincinnati's going to play off this year. Yeah, I'm I, like, man, I want to see those dudes get a chance. Yeah. Just to see them. Could they beat Alabama? Probably not. Do they deserve an opportunity? Yes. Yeah. I think that's it. Do they deserve a chance? Yes. Uh, look at Georgia last year. Georgia was beating Alabama on the freaking road in Tuscaloosa yeah. with Stetson Bennett. Georgia ended the season. JT at quarterback. That defense. That's a different team. Would have been awesome. They would have been, what, a 9-10 seed? Yeah, they would have had the, the matchup with Cincinnati. You would have had to go on the road to face Cincinnati. But still, I mean, Georgia, if they were able to work their way into the Final Four, no one wanted to play Georgia in the season. Yeah. So there's those teams that maybe had some injuries early on, whatever it may be, that could benefit from this. So I like it. I thought eight was a good number, but uh, I'm, I'm fine with 12. I'm just happy that the group of, 12, you know, the, the, the group of five is going to have an opportunity, and, uh, and there's going to be more SEC teams in there, which is kind of yep. sweet to see, too. I mean, you have had Alabama, A&M, and Georgia in it last year, and Florida. And Florida as and well. Florida. Let's ask question that is on everybody's mind been asked it probably every year since you left and by the way Georgia hasn't had a top 40 passing offense since you left that should change this year one thing 1980 is that is that something that we're going to be talking about deep into November even into December and do those jokes finally end this year uh you hope so I mean there's some good teams I mean Alabama's gonna be Alabama I think I think the path to get to the playoff is is extremely doable. I mean, to get through the East is, I don't, don't want to say a cupcake, but it's Georgia's significantly better than everyone else on that side of the division. Uh, or the SEC. You know, SEC West is going to be a gauntlet. I mean, that's the one thing. If Alabama does win, it ain't going to be easy. LSU's going to be improved. A&M's a good team, especially defensively. Ole Miss, offensively, is going to be a juggernaut. If they can just get a little bit better defensively, they're going to give teams some issues. I mean, yeah. shoot, they gave Alabama issues last year. Mississippi State's going to be better this year. Uh, Arkansas, you, they took some major strides forward last year. We'll see what Auburn looks like. I love Harson. I love the coaching staff there. You know, can Bo Nix get better at quarterback? But regardless, what Alabama has to, if Alabama is going to be the winners of the West, what they have to go through is a heck of a lot harder than what Georgia has to go to to get to Alabama. So, 
then you're talking about fatigue, then you're talking about guys maybe being more banged up. If George is healthier and a better state mentally when it comes to Atlanta, I think they're just as good as a team as what Alabama is. So, yes, this is a great opportunity for them. If they look great for Clemson, first Clemson week one, I think that only builds the case for them that, hey, this is our year to win it. Uh, Oklahoma's going to be good. We'll see what Ohio State looks like. I mean, to me, the top teams in the country are Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. Yeah. Right now, those are. Yeah, there's nothing else new. Um, other than that, I just don't see other teams really contending at the moment. That was a long-winded way of saying, I'm not ready to say the 1980 jokes are going to end. And they're definitely not going to end until they until they beat Alabama. Right. If they beat Al- if they beat Clemson and they beat Alabama, there's no reason why they shouldn't beat Oklahoma. Do they beat Clemson in the opener? I think so. I think they're better. I do. I think with JT quarterback, what yeah. they have on offense, their front seven, the additions they have on the back end with the transfer portal, it's a damn good defense, and I think JT makes this offense better, especially with his running backs, too. So, yeah, I think overall, because what was Clemson? Clemson was Trevor and ETN. I mean, they didn't have studs at receiver. Yeah. Uh, I know they're a little bit banged up on that at that position, but you know, defensively, Clemson will be tough. But offensively, I think there's a lot of question marks where I don't think there's any question marks with Georgia right now, really. They've addressed those in the transfer portal. They have. They've addressed them. So, Aaron, appreciate the time, man. Thank you, thank you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out today, we're talking friend vacations. I'm going on one this week. I'll be in Denver with my four best friends from high school. Something we've never really done as adults but we are kind of at that point in our lives where none of us have kids yet and figured this would be a good time to be able to, to take a trip like this. We, so we need some, some factors as it, as it relates to friend vacations. What is a friend vacation versus just going to you know, a bachelor party or does it count if we're going to a bowl game or, or something like that? And I, I put wedding trips in a separate category Right, because if you're all meeting somewhere to go to a wedding and it's all kind of centered on that, that's a little bit different than just saying, we don't live in a particular city, let's go, let's experience this specific, it doesn't have to be a specific thing, but let's just you know go there for the sake of going there and we can kind of line it up that sort of way. But Will, have you gone on friend trips with your buddies based either based on college football or not based on college football? Yeah, for sure. I have a pretty good traveling group of guys. Very diverse interest groups in my friends. So it's very fun to, you know, give people new experiences. We do a lot of sports traveling. Um, you know, a lot of like random stuff. Our, we're going to New York um, later this year. Um, you know, nice. hopefully, you know, rules willing and everything. But yeah, you're you're right. It's like it either goes in the category of like, hey, we're doing this for sports or we're doing this to go experience an area we've never been to. And, you know, luckily, sometimes you get the convergence of like, hey, you know, LSU made the Fiesta Bowl. I get to go see a new area. So th- that's really when you can hit a couple of things. Like when you like, for instance, when we go to New York, we're going to try to see like a, you know, early season basketball game in the garden mm-hmm. just so we can say we did that, you know. That's a good trip to be able to do. You can hit a lot of things with a weekend in New York. Denver, kind of similar in a lot of ways. We were originally talking about doing this trip and going to the entire series of Cubs-Rockies, and we realized we probably shouldn't be going to three Cubs-Rockies games to watch a couple of teams that are basically going to be playing 
AAA players out there. Well, hey, you might get called up to play second base, though. If you wave hard enough, you might just be checking in. So that's actually the best time to do it. I'm a little little rusty at second base. I'm more of a center field guy in softball, but I'll take whatever is being thrown at me. That's fine. I'll uh, I'll show up ready to go. You just never know. That's why you bring your glove for opportunities (laughs) like this. We'll sit close enough to where that can be a thing. Um, but yeah, we're basically going to watch the, the carcass that is the Chicago Cubs roster. So it'll be fun. But Coors Field, for anybody that's been, is awesome. Unbelievable ballpark. And my buddies basically decided this summer we should just try and do a baseball trip every year that we can. Just try and go to a new ballpark. All of us love baseball. All of us love being able to, to go experience new, thing, new things. And now I think post-pandemic, a lot of us... Even my friends who didn't travel before have that like post-pandemic travel itch to want to get out and see some things. Right. But Denver's great too because in addition to you know, being able to have a ballpark in the heart of a downtown, which I, I don't take that for granted at all. Somebody who grew up in you know grew up in suburbs of Chicago where that really wasn't a thing in the same sort of way. But downtown Denver is awesome. And the fact that you have hiking that's 10, 15 minutes away, downtown is a really good spot. I, it, like, there's just a lot to do in Denver. And I'm not even a weed guy, and I say that. So We all know you're a big weed guy, Connor. <laughs> totally come across as that, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I was thinking about it, too. It's been a very travel-heavy summer for me because a lot yeah. of things got rescheduled. I did the math. This summer if you want to include the end of May. So if you want to include Memorial Day. Yeah. All have been to Kentucky, California, Colorado, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Alabama, North Carolina. And then if you want to include Florida, where I live, that's nine states that I will have spent at least a night in. And not because I'm doing like some cross-country road trip or anything like that. So This man's building a super conference, bro. <laughs> I will have hit all of the teams. <laughs> So uh, we've already done traveling in airports already and figuring it out. If you haven't listened to those episodes, go back, listen to those. We're probably going to have a little bit of bachelor party overlap today, and that's that's totally fine. But I wanted to focus on friends trips, whether that's a guy's weekend, a girl's weekend, or maybe it's you know mixed group, couple's trip, whatever it is. Key distinction here, we're not talking about family vacations or yep. weddings in this specific category. Those or are business all travel. Or business travel as well. Good, good point there. Um, so... Took to the Facebook group here, and a lot of good responses, as per usual. Um, and we'll start off, I want to start off with, we'll start off with the ladies. Ladies first. Krista Barish says, I think my favorite girls trip was Auburn in 2010. LSU might have lost the game to Cam Newton, but we were introduced to Tumor's Corner yep. for Loco and partied hard for two nights at the one and only Sky Bar. Will. Do you know the madness that is for Loco? Oh yeah, so that, that story is near and dear to my heart. I actually was at that game, um, and that was my, my love for Auburn fans, came from that specific game. I don't know if I told you about this, afterward we saw Cam Newton on a moped, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. And we, we, could, old, yeah. we could tell it was Cam Newton because he was obviously 6'5", like draped all over the moped, like some type of a giant spider, and you could just see his giant Cam Newton smile, knowing he might have just locked up the Heisman, and we were like, this is so cool. Auburn fans were amazing. And yeah, going back to the Four Loco thing, that was that legacy Four Loco area. That was when you had some jet fuel, a little bit of unrefined uranium in there. Uh, and it was really just, <laughs> it was really just made of anything they could find near the Four Loco plant. So that must have been a time. I don't know how that ever got through the FDA. <laughs> it didn't. That's the problem. 
That got, that got put back, that got taken off the shelves in a hurry, but it was a very brief time. That would have been what, my, I think sophomore year in high school, where if you were, if you were putting down two, four locos in a night, even at that peak tolerance age, you were, you were getting pretty messed up. There was no messing with a four loco and people would try and people would always pay the price too much, too much for, for even college Connor, which was again, a different breed back then, but couldn't do more than a few sips of that. If, if you, if you had a, a four loco night, you remember it. Oh, you can't listen. You couldn't just sip four loco. That was the thing. Cause if you sipped it, you thought about what you were doing. So, <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Like I said, Auburn's awesome. Like Auburn, I would put Auburn up there with uh, UGA for like my favorite places to travel in the SEC. That, that actually sounds like a tight trip. And good time of year too. Oh yeah. Really good time of year to go and do that. Matthew Sedro says, the best trips I've had with friends have always surrounded, uh, been surrounded by traveling to LSU's away games. I have a core group of friends who we always travel with and we've been to Tuscaloosa twice, Knoxville and Austin and are planning a trip to Oxford this fall. That's gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. It's always a pretty even split for the weekend. Everybody brings some food and alcohol to eat and drink at the Airbnb, and we split the costs of the house evenly among each household. Other than that, the rest of the trip is soaking up as much of the away campus as possible and enjoying the touristy stuff. So I should have said this at the top. I, I didn't, but whatever else to say now. So the questions that I asked in the Facebook group were, um, do you plan your trips? What are the best trips that you've taken? Um, just basic, what's like the best type of trip that you can take with your friends that you just would recommend to anyone? How do you approach paying for stuff? And then of course, any sort of horror stories or anything like that, we're gonna take those every single time. Yep. Paying for stuff when you're in a group like that can get awkward. And it can get awkward because when you're the person who gets every single Uber, and you know you're the person who's getting every single Uber, sometimes that can add up a little bit. That's more than just you know, going out and getting a bottle of water at the gas station. Sometimes you get Ubers and surge pricing, and if you're downtown and you're dropping you know, 40 bucks or something like that, I can understand why that would be a little bit frustrating. My buddy Ben introduced us to this app called Splitwise. This isn't an ad, I promise. But that apparently, I've never used it before. Ben swears by it. He uses it with uh, his family when they go on family vacations. And apparently it splits up the money really well. So you can just put any sort of expense in there instead of having to do a bunch of separate Venmo requests. Mm -hmm. Because that that gets tricky. Even if you're one of those people that if you do it right away, maybe your other buddy didn't do it right away. And then you have to keep track of how much they paid for and whatnot. And this kind of all just puts it into one specific place. So I guess I'll report back on how that works out. Have you ever gotten into one of those awkward situations where you feel like you're on a friend's trip and you get you end up paying for maybe more or somebody else in your group ends up paying for more than what they probably should have? Yeah, I think, and this is like in itself a good figuring it out topic, but it's like, so you're, you're obviously a little bit older than me and everyone probably in your group is a little bit more like set in their career path. And it's like, we're kind of getting that comb going through us right now where it's like, there are some of us, um, like me and my boy, John, we obviously are at the same place. So it's like, we got lucky enough to get hired pretty much right out of college. And then my other friends are now getting that, you know, those jobs. And so it's a lot better because it's like, you know, for a while it was like, we were in our twenties and we were a little bit ahead of the game. So it was kind of awkward because it was like, I, I didn't want to ask my friends to pay for anything, honestly, because I was 
was like, okay, like, you know, like we're all doing this together. And, you know, I've invited you, we've all decided to do this together. And I know that we're in different financial situations. So I would always be the guy who was like, okay, dude, don't worry about it. We got you, we got you. But point being, I'm really proud of my group because a lot of the guys, especially in this last year, have gotten promoted or gotten. So our first guy's trip is going to be awesome. That, that is fun when you get to that place in life. And it's not that I just got my first job out of college and I'm still trying to save as much as possible. And you're still saving when you're in your mid to late 20s or something like that. But when you're at that place where you're like, oh, you know, if I wanna spend $1,000 on a trip or something like that, or I can say, I can really buy a round of drinks and not really feel quite as guilty about that. Yeah. That is fun to be able to do that for the first time. You, you'll appreciate, you appreciate those moments because you remember what it's like. It wasn't that long ago when you're thinking to yourself, man, what's on special? What am I getting here? What am I getting there? Um, Emery Picker says, going on a bachelor party to Tampa this weekend, we, everyone but the groom, split everything from the Airbnb to the boat rental to the strippers, all right, to the food for the house. One of the guys is driving and everyone else is flying, so we will all split gas for driving around town. My rule of thumb for trips is whoever drives their car doesn't pay for gas. That's a good rule. The worst thing about trips with a group of people is when someone gets nitpicky on every dollar spent. Someone sends a Venmo request for buying a coffee or paying for parking. They're just an a-hole. Right. Yeah, there's a line. There's a line. I, I think uh, it should be the Uber line. Anything, and everybody's financial situation is different. And if you're not necessarily in a place where you want to loan out loan out 15 or 20 bucks to your, to your friend because you know that that's just a sunk cost and you're not getting that money back, then by all means. But... If we're gonna sit here and nickel and dime over, you know, a three dollar cup of coffee or something like that, all right, you know, let's let's keep everything in perspective. What's worth actually making a big deal about? What's not? Because then, when that's always when a friend's trip can kind of go south, mm-hmm. when there becomes that like built up animosity over finances, and not everybody's in the same position as you mentioned, but we can at least have awareness. That's the biggest thing. Have awareness in those situations and just be cognizant. If somebody gets you for a drink here, you get the next one. Just just be kind of aware of the dynamic. Oh, I got, I got the king story of that. I just realized that. So me and my boys, this is back in college, right? So this is literally, like I said, like we were all struggling, whatever, and we went to Bonnaroo, right? So we put up all this money ahead of time. So we, by the time we got there, like our our budget was pretty pretty thin. And one of my boys, you know, so Bonnaroo's obviously changed a lot, right? So. Uh, they have pretty decently nice like mobile showers that you can take. And one of my buddies was just like, oh, it's 10 bucks for a shower? Nope, not doing that. And the rest of us were like, yes, you are. <laughs> and he was like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, no, dude, it's 10 bucks, I don't wanna pay that. It's like, no, no, if we need to put up a GoFundMe right now for your $10 shower, we're doing it. You are getting a shower because you know who that affects? everybody else yeah, and it was like the point. funniest like like kind of like come to jesus meeting in our tent because we were all so just like bullying the student to spending ten dollars i think he ended up doing it but it was so funny because he said like we got there and it was exactly what you're talking about kind of the whole like we're just like yeah our only expenses are like food and like showers and we we're like yeah, yeah we'll get it because it's four days so it's like so we were like yeah we'll get a shower like you know two or three days in one dude was like no i think i'll need a shower like, yeah dude we'll see and we get there and we're all like no, we gonna see. Like, you need to get this shower right now, buddy. That that shower when you're doing that, and that's only for a very specific time in your life, right? In which you could realistically think about doing the the tent festival experience. Country Thunder never was at that phase in life. That was always something that kids in kids in high school used to go to to Country Thunder in my area, 
and they would do the not showering thing for four days. And I would just think to myself, man, I can't quite do that. I just, I, I would hate, hate the, the people around me dealing with that. And 10 bucks is kind of expensive. I think it was like five bucks at Country Thunder. I don't know if they've raised the price. You're an enabler, Connor. Don't say 10 bucks is expensive for a shower. A shower is priceless. Right. Anyway. Right. You raise the money, you raise the money to be able to make it happen. And, and everybody has a better time as a result. Christopher Zahor says, going to a lake house in New England this weekend for my bachelor party. Oh, congratulations. That's going to be a lot of fun, man. Playing 18 holes Saturday morning, then spending the rest of the day on the lake. I haven't had to pay for the Airbnb or anything else yet, but I do have to drive like eight hours longer than anyone else does. Wait a minute. So I'm doing some quick math here. Buddies, hauling. If you're driving eight hours longer than anyone else does, so even if we're talking about a trip on the East Coast, now I'm doing some mental math here. Even if you're living, I don't know where Chris Zahor lives, but maybe if he lives in like Charlotte and you're driving up the coast, man, that's still, that's a good ways. That's a really long trip to be able to, to turn around and, and pull that off. But if you're one of those people that just like driving, then by all means. I remember when I was interning, when I was interning at the Baseball Hall of Fame, there was this guy who was in a long distance relationship with his, with his girlfriend. I was also in a long distance relationship with my girlfriend at the time. She was now wife, Lauren, who's four hours away. She was in New York City. This guy's girlfriend was in South Carolina. He would take weekend drives to go see her from Cooperstown, New York. He would drive like 18, 19 hours each way. And he was okay with it. And he was just one of these people that liked driving. And he was perfectly fine with it. And it was strange. And every single time he'd come back, we'd say, how was the trip? He'd say, oh yeah, it was great, it's great. It's one of those guys who's like never too high, never too low. He just gets in his car and he, he just rolls. Man, man, I listen to all of Serial. It was awesome. Just season one, <laughs> not, not season two. Thoughts and prayers to anyone who's ever had to listen to season two of Serial while sitting on a plane coming back from Europe. I don't recommend that, I do not. Um, but anyways, hope you have an awesome time. That sounds great. Bachelor party, lake house, New England, mm -hmm. some lobster rolls, hopefully in your future. And have yourself a time, Chris Sahor. Yeah, that's one thing that like they do. We talked about it a little bit earlier off air about like what we kind of do for vacations in the South. But like people in the Northeast all do similar, like a lot of them do similar things for vacations. Go and the Cape. There's probably something to that. I'll say it. I've never personally done it. Some of my friends, you know, they'll go scalloping. And I'm just like, that sounds like an incredible Ooh. time. Yeah. Sign me up. That sounds great. Summer in the Northeast is very unique. Right. Great, great area of the country to see that time of year. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, nah, no, I'm good. Maybe Vermont in the fall. Other than that, I, th I, think, I think we're good. I think we're good. Mike Swick. Mike says, three of us are huge Steelers fans and decided to take a road trip from Canton to Southwest PA, Pennsylvania. Spent the night in Cayuga Falls on a friend's floor and couch went up to see the hall and snuck onto the new Jacobs Field, showing my age. Great trip and didn't get caught. That's fun. When you have trips that are centered around sports, that's, that's a great way to do it. It's a little bit hard, I think, sometimes for, not to sound sexist here, but sometimes guys just don't think that same sort of way to initiate, hey, we should all go here and do this specific thing. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have a Cubs Rocky series kind of surrounding this, <laughs> would we all just be like, you guys want to go check out Red Rocks for a bit? Want to go? Want to go hit up downtown Denver? See see what it, what, what it's like for for a few days? It's just a little bit harder. Sports kind of pushes us in that direction. 
And sometimes it pushes us to do things like sneak onto Jacob's Field. That's tight. That's no, like I, I love hearing stories like that from the group of people just like following their passions and stuff like that. And Connor, I think you also hit the nail on the head. It's making me realize like, hey, maybe we should just plan some more trips with the dudes that, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because you're right. Like you'll see all these, um, you know, these trips on Instagram. We're like, how did you think of that? It's like, well, they probably just sat down and started thinking as opposed to like yeah. getting the schedule like I do every year. Yeah, just sit, just sit down, carve out some time, decide you, you haven't seen this before, you should go with this specific person and these specific groups of people, who, whatever the case may be, and just, just start, start knocking them out if you have the means. Great way to do it. Mm-hmm. We'll end with this one. Um, Alex Nassif, Nassif? Alex says, I always take the initiative to pay for hotel and other shared expenses with my credit card for those points. My friends are good with reimbursing, no issues there. I really enjoy planning and coordinating the trips. Pro tip, keep the group small. Anything more than about six people is a big headache. Yep. Spoken like a true planner there. We did the podcast about uh, talking bachelor parties and figuring it out. I really enjoyed planning my brother's bachelor party. It was a lot of fun and everything worked out. Got around all the moving pieces of COVID. It is stressful when that group gets beyond six. It really is. And when you're figuring out, telling people where they need to be at a specific time, all those different things. I like planning too. I've tried not to be the go-hung planner guy for this specific trip that we're going on because I don't want to, we have, it's Tuesday through Friday. So I didn't want to just plan seven activities and then nobody else has any time to make any sort of input because then if, if they have a good idea and who knows, I mean, probably could end up being better than something I had thought of, then all of a sudden it feels like, oh, well, then we have to decide. I'd rather go in, a couple ideas. I've got a brewery tour planned for us. I've got a few restaurants that I've been to in Denver that I'd love to be able to hit up again. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to be able to go to a couple Cubs games. But other than that, I don't want to load up too much because planner guy sometimes, he gets kind of crapped on a little bit. And I've been in that spot before. But you also need that person to be able to plan. If we were just going in there and just going to show up and then Google stuff, I guess maybe that would work. But probably missed out on some some good opportunities. Will, you're a planner when you go on vacation, aren't you? A little bit. And like I, I think... He hit the nail on the head, which is just like, you know, so sometimes even if I'm not naturally a planner, it's a better idea to just get out in front of it because it's like, then it's it's the whole like, you know, you don't have to be faster than the bear, you just have to be faster than your friend. It's like, well, if you don't plan, your next most responsible friend is going to be the one who does. And there might be a pretty wide gap between, you know, just talking about friend groups and everything, you know, we've been really lucky. And I think your friend group is like that too, but like we've been lucky enough to travel a lot, you know what I'm saying? And so we know, you know, what the what time to get to the airport, what like how to get a cab, how to do like X, Y, and Z. And so sometimes being the guy who just sits back with that knowledge is much more stressful than just getting out ahead of it and being like, all right, so like this is what we're gonna do. And exactly what he said about the points, I think hits the nail on the head because instead of doing the whole like awkward check dance, you could be like, hey bro, covered and then you do the old pay me back whenever bro and then you know if you got a solid group of friends and that's going to make them want to pay you back as opposed to like oh like whatever you know what i'm saying and so it's like sometimes it's easier to get people to pay you back if you just hit it up up front and then they feel like oh this is missing from my boy's account i gotta make him whole as opposed to the whole like oh let's like get an app let's do x y and z and he gets the ad bonus to getting points so i think that is for sure that move mm. interesting that it, that would be a good way to do it sometimes that can be a little bit stressful a little mm-hmm. bit stressful if you're covering an Airbnb for a ton of people and 
you can break it down to where maybe um, a lot a lot of places do that where you pay half within the like right up front immediately right there and then you pay the other half when it's three weeks out or something yeah from whenever you're staying at a specific place but just be mindful of that keep track of who's paying for what I think we're gonna be all right with that most of us are pretty pretty honest and we know we're not the type of, of group that just let stuff suppress and kind of sit sit there yeah if somebody says something stupid if somebody's being cheap or something like that we'll call each other out at least I think we will, but you just kind of never know in those situations. And if you're the person who plans and takes that burden on, it's a little bit difficult. It's totally different going on a trip with my buddies as opposed to going on a trip with Lauren. Right. Lauren loves, loves to plan and is really good at it. And I love providing input restaurants and stuff like that. I don't just take a total backseat. Lauren just likes being in control when it comes to traveling and planning stuff out. And she planned like basically our entire Grand Canyon trip and told her parents, just show up, mm-hmm. <laughs> just show up and I'll take care of everything. Like who, who does that? Usually like going on trips with their parents and just tell them show up and be here, get on a flight. I'll even book your flight for you and, and we'll have a good time. And then, I mean, she's absolutely right. That's a great skill to have though. If you can plan a great vacation and come back to that, that is very valuable to be able to have in your back pocket moving forward. You, you make such a good point about Lauren too, because I feel like the floor is so much higher if I'm traveling with Brittany or my boy Brady, who's like also a great traveler. It's like, if I don't have either of those people, <laughs> the, the floor is just so much lower and I have to be so much more like in control. But it's like, yeah, if you have like a co-pilot on your trip, that makes things way easier. Gotta have a co-pilot. Very, very key. So I'll have a lot of details, I'm sure, from... From that trip next week, we're gonna talk a lot about just camp storylines. There's gonna be, I think, a very interesting discussion to be had about the transfer portal over the course of the next few weeks. There's your typical position battles in fall camp and all that. We're gonna be on top of everything. If for whatever reason you have not subscribed to the Saturday Football Newsletter, consider now your chance. It's August, man. It is August. I don't know how that happened, but it did. That's the way that time works. Saturday.football, put in your email address. I promise you will not be disappointed. Go subscribe to our newest podcast on Saturday Down South, College Football Uncensored. If you have not already, you want to hear your name read on air during figuring it out, go to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. Leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe, go do all of those fun things. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.